Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Small Lake City Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by, sponsored by YouthLink. YouthLink is a local nonprofit with the mission to create lifetime humanitarians. So get this, back in 2008, my buddy said, hey, let's go do some humanitarian work in Thailand. I was like, all right, well, I'm down for an adventure. Sounds like a, a fun time. This adventure was with YouthLink. So YouthLink took us to Thailand. Uh, we had an incredible experience. We were able to help a, a local small school. It was an amazing experience that led me to participate in YouthLink for the next three years. I love YouthLink. I love their mission. And uh, I really love what they're doing locally in our community as well. You know, I started off with that highlight of Thailand. We went and we had an incredible time. But we did a lot of local service as well, and it really got me engaged to know my community and get involved in that way. I would highly recommend anybody that wants to get involved in any sort of service to check out YouthLink to see if they're a good fit for you. Um, I know a, a couple of their current causes are, one, filling up spots to go on these lovely trips and to do local humanitarian service. So get connected to them at youthlink.org, youthlinks with a C, not with a K. And then the second big push that they've been working on for the last couple of years is creating a new neighborhood center um, for them to provide local service programming for, for youth and anybody that wants to get involved in our community. They need a couple million bucks. So if you got a couple million bucks, send it their way. But uh, anything can help them. Please go check out youthlink.org. I love them. I can highly recommend them enough. And enjoy uh, today's episode with Justin Powell, who's the executive director of YouthLink. Thanks. Justin, thank you for taking the time to come on the Small Lake City podcast. Yes, thanks for having me. Of course. Um, just in way of introduction, if you don't mind introducing who you are and what you're all about, you can make that as short or as long as you like. Wow, okay. <laughs> Well, my name's Justin, and you know, the thing that's probably brought the most uh, purpose to my life is uh, doing a lot of different volunteer work around Utah and internationally, and a big part of what I spend my time doing has to do with those things. So first and foremost, through my career as the executive director at a nonprofit called YouthLink, and then I'm also uh, really involved with Rotary and doing things with Rotary around uh, Utah, and that also has uh, global reach as well. And, you know, that's since I was a young person, those are things that I've always really enjoyed doing. So to make that a part of my, who I am as an adult in my career, it's kind yeah. of makes sense for me. Absolutely. And uh, maybe to slightly jump ahead about YouthLink's mission of creating uh, you know, lifetime humanitarians, you know, you're, you're looking to start with young kids. And so you just mentioned this for you goes back to you being a youth. What, I'm, I'm curious, what are your insights uh, looking back? What was it that kind of made you want to get involved in this sort of work? Yeah, so the reason I like to get involved in service, I think, was just because that was a value that I was gr I grew up with, and I was just naturally interested in that kind of thing. I think I always have been kind of an empath and interested in serving people and to, uh, you know, I'm aware of people around me and what they might benefit from and mm. looking at ways that I could potentially support that. Um, in terms of how that 
evolved into being with YouthLink. Um, when I was in high school, it didn't exist. It hadn't been founded yet. But the te- a teacher at my school, I went to Murray High, um, started it the year I was graduating from high school. So I heard of YouthLink way back then. I okay. didn't join it. And, but my wife, who was a year younger, who is now my wife, uh, yeah. she was a year younger than me. And she went uh, with this teacher. Her name was Judy on this really cool experience where they did all this service locally and then they went to Kenya. Um, you know, and that was fine. That was my wife. Her name's Brittany. That was her thing and wasn't really something I did until later on, you know, fast forward eight years later uh, when we got married. All of a sudden I was like, okay, maybe I'll do this YouthLink thing you're always doing, yeah. that you've been doing. Yeah. Little did I know when we took our marriage vows that YouthLink was part of those. <laughs> Uh, and I'm glad it was because I joined then as a volunteer with YouthLink. I mean, I'd already been volunteering and doing stuff, so it wasn't a huge leap for me. Right. And I had just been living abroad. I had just been living in Korea and Vietnam for a year teaching English. So, And I traveled and backpacked, but I'd never done service when I'd gone abroad. Uh-huh. So YouthLink was kind of, that was new for me. But I loved it, and I became super addicted to it. And before I knew it, I was going on multiple trips per year with YouthLink. And, you know, you'd be careful what you volunteer for because it turns into your life. And finally, uh, years, years later after doing that, the, the founder, who was then the executive director, said, hey, we're expanding this local program we do that works with refugee youth and we, I'd like for you to apply for that job because um, at that time I was a teacher. Right. So it kind of mixed all those things together and I said sure why not I'll change careers and came over and worked at YouthLink and now here I am now here you are executive director yeah Yeah. which is awesome and shout out to your wife Brittany because she's the one that's ultimately connected you and I I mean of course YouthLinks have been a big part of that but my first YouthLink experience was with Brittany in in Thailand and that was an an incredible experience for me and Mm -hmm formative in a lot of ways I think similar to you like I I grew up kind of having a natural tendency to want to help people and be empathetic towards people and then just the you know added parts of the adventure of going somewhere else and and doing that empath stuff volunteering was it was a little extra icing on the cake Mm -hmm. yeah so going back to the values I grew up with similar values of wanting to serve and help each other I you know, probably would relate those values to my religious belief at the time. Was it similar for you, or were those values founded elsewhere for you, family values, things like that? Yeah, I, I do think a lot of it had to do with religious upbringing and those values that were kind of taught at church and also at home. But a really big, you know, my biggest platform in the end uh, as I was a teenager was actually through Key Club at in oh, high school. Yeah. And, of course, I mean, those other things kind of led me to be interested in joining Key Club, which is a service club. But I loved Key Club. And I we just got a, you got together with other people that were like-minded like you, wanting to do service. And we'd go do service. We did reading buddies and uh, clean up the park projects and, all you know, all sorts of different things. And I just really liked it. It was a good way to spend my time. Yeah, for sure. I... I didn't get involved in as as much of that sort of stuff in high school. I think I was probably had some sort of transition of junior high and high school trying to be cool and be involved in sports, and that that overtook my life. But 
Yeah, I think those things in... in I could never fake that. I, just, you know, <laughs> I fully embrace nerddom. Well, no, I'd say, well, I, I don't think it's fair to just call it nerddom either. I think there's, you know, we put it in those sort of compartments, but you yeah. know, I think these are things, of course, that everybody needs to be involved in. But yes, oh, there, there's, a, there's a certain thing in junior high and high school where we put those cool, uncool tags on everything and things yeah. that are I never of thought of it back then as uncool. It's just what I did. Well, yeah, and I think it's uncool, like I was trying to say before, is of course not a fair tag, yeah. but I think sometimes it, it definitely park cleanup? Oh, yeah. no. No, exactly. you know, like, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, I... From from those high school beginnings to your high beginnings to you know ultimately going on your first YouthLink trip was YouthLink the thing that kind of took you further into the future about volunteering or were there other things that you were doing that you really enjoyed as well? It was so after high school, you know, you lose a lot of structure in yeah. your life, yeah. and you know, I, after high school, I went on an LDS mission and that was great. I went to Australia but Vietnamese speaking. Oh, wow. And so I worked exclusively for two years with Vietnamese refugees living in Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia. And that was, you know, a really part of how I continue to form as a person and the things that I had interest in, interest in and what I knew I could put my passion behind. And But then you come home from a mission and, you know, you're back to real world, yeah. not that, you know, bubble existence that you kind of yeah. live. And then there was a time where I wasn't really involved in doing a lot of service because I took for granted that those structures were around me and then they weren't. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't until I, my wife and I got married and then she had been part of the youth link that a structure reentered my life. And, that str- and that's been a really powerful thing uh, for me because it kind of connected me back to the things that I loved the most is – but I just didn't know how to go about doing it all on my on my own. Yeah, that makes sense. I, first, I appreciate that you corrected your Australian pronunciation of Melbourne. <laughs> I know, it's Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny because I, I served a LES mission in the UK, so it's the same sort of thing. You know, when yeah. you say words a certain way, UK way or American way. So it's funny yeah, if how anyone you... listens to this from over there, you know. <laughs> They're going to be mad if I said Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, similar to so. the UK. If I said certain words, certain way, they'd be like, no, <laughs> yeah. we taught you better. We taught you proper English when you came over here. Um, I I experienced a lot of the similar things that you're you're kind of describing this time in life where not a lot of structure. You're trying to figure out what life's all about, and you're wanting to get involved in, in something, and the natural inclination after, you know, doing all those church related things. And then, you know, going back even to the high school days is uh, volunteer. Let's get out there Mm -hmm. and, and do something that just maybe puts me in a place where I can help other people. Um, but one thing that has come to my mind or, and I wanted to ask you about in volunteering is like often people, incorporate this selfish aspect of volunteering like there's there's a selfish portion of of all of this and it's like this feeling that we get or the personal satisfaction we get talk about your experience in working through that of kind of that dichotomy of like yes of course i want to serve but there's also this addiction uh self-serving part of it i don't know what what thoughts do you have on that yeah um that's often what i people say is there's a selfish element to it and okay sure we can call it that if we want but 
there's just so many other benefits to it that are self-serving but also aren't self-serving. Yeah. So in terms of it being self-serving, I don't know that those are necessarily bad qualities that yeah. you get from it, you know, as I know you know. Right. Um, there are things like you feel like you're connected to a broader community and that gives you more self-worth. And that's, I guess someone could say that's selfish, that it's helping you feel more in tune with your own worth. Um, they might then counter with, oh, well, why do you have to, you know, there's maybe a power dynamic uh, thing going on with, well, do you feel special because they're lesser than you? And that means that somehow mm -hmm. then you feel special. And okay, if you look at it from like this really academic perspective, you could, yeah, sure, that could be argued. But what happens when you're actually in it, doing it, is all of those power dynamics kind of melt away. And yeah. it's no longer about that. It's more like they become, the people you're working with become people you're working with. They're right. human beings. And you you really start checking your um, preconceived notions and the, any stereotypes you might have held about certain groups of marginalized people to, to the side, and you realize you have a lot more in common. And some of those things melt away. So, yeah, uh, those, I mean, those are the things that really are why I love serving is yeah. it just expands my capacity to understand more human experiences, which which then also gives me more clarity about my own self. Um, I do think potentially people could fall in a trap if they're only doing service because then they can produce a YouTube video off of it or mm. monetize it or make themselves feel special. I mean, we see that a lot on social media where they're like filming themselves handing a ice cream cone to a homeless person and it's <laughs> yeah. just like that's ridiculous right like, that is so weird but uh you know that gives service a bad name sometimes yeah no i think all that's uh, that's well said and i think you know i agree with everything that you said and part of it is like this idea where we have certain words that we like to use or certain ways, again, how we put things in compartments or frame them. And sometimes we're trying to look for like, well, what's the the negative part of all this service being involved? Is there a selfish aspect to it? And I, I like how you said like, well, yeah, to a certain extent, and I think we should be okay with that, right? There's certainly worse things that we can be involved in that are selfish that have no net benefit for anybody else, right? So if there's absolutely a, yeah, if there's a, a thing that we can be involved in that is selfish at some level, but also involves other people and builds community, builds other people, helps those that might have some needs that we can help with, then of course we should be involved. With I it. yeah, absolutely. And you know, another thought that that kind of along those same lines is. Some people will kind of point out, oh, you know, you're engaging, let's say if it's uh, supporting the refugee population, for example, okay, you're, you're working with them and then they're afraid that there's this weird power dynamic and you're like not valuing them and all these, you know, there's all sorts of arguments they could make that that's kind of harmful or you're trying to Americanize them or something. Um, but at the same time, um, and, you know, maybe mistakes sometimes get made. And we Absolutely. and there have been historically those power dynamics have been problematic. And we have to acknowledge that in our industry that, yes, there have historically been issues. Maybe there are still existing issues. But does that mean we stop trying? 
and something that uh, I often kind of counter when people give that criticism and I say, is I say, okay, well, if you don't think that, you know, like mainstream or multi-generation Americans should be interacting in this way with uh, first generation or new Americans, then what what would you suggest that we do then? Because yeah. there's still an issue here that needs to be addressed in helping this population establish their lives here. So give me a suggestion. Yeah. They never have one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, well, okay, you can be an armchair critic, but that's not really helpful right. unless you have a, actually a different strategy. But, you know, on the ground is someone in this, we're constantly asking ourselves, how can we be aware of those dynamics? How can we uh, dismantle them? How can we make sure we're always doing better? And so it's absolutely we engage in this kind of work with a growth mindset. I really appreciate your perspective and your your willingness to kind of talk through that and pose those questions because I think those are the questions we need to pose each other is like really what are we asking for? And uh, this is just my observation and take my observation for what it's worth. But I think we're in a time where we're really, if the pendulum was swinging, we're really swinging to this, this area of where we're kind of questioning and uh, questioning everything and questioning it to critical levels and detailed levels of like, well, what about this? What about this? How about this? How does this influence our society? And one, you know, one end of that spectrum, it's good to question everything. But on the other end, it it does kind of become exhausting, and it takes away from just the pure essence of let's get out there and volunteer, meet other people, and and help. Absolutely, and I, I have been on that journey too. Yeah, I mean, there have been times where I mean, I'm fully immersed in this work, and if I listen to all those critics and I start questioning too, like so much that it sometimes I'm almost start feeling a little bit of shame about it. Yeah. And then I have to re-ask myself new questions to kind of swing it back because that you're right. There's a real power and a real tone out there that's pretty critical of, of this kind of work. And I agree. Always ask the questions. But at the same time, things are a p pendulum. And yeah, we have to acknowledge that there are really good things that, that stem from this and we can always do it better. Yeah. And a nuanced conversation, a nuanced discussion about these sort of things always is helpful. You know, if we just mm -hmm. try to make it simple, black and white or one way or the other, it's not going to work out. If we have a nuanced discussion right. and we're growing with it, and like you said, a growth mindset, then I think that's all that's necessary. And that's all we should hold each other accountable to is that we're making efforts and trying to grow and trying to do our best and acknowledging our mistakes. Absolutely. That's normal. Yeah. Welcome yeah. to life. It, it is normal, <laughs> but it certainly seems hard uh, this yeah. day and age at some levels. Uh, maybe that's, again, just my perception and my experience. But I feel that too. I, as I have gone through different stages of, you know, helping volunteer, volunteering, running programs, I've, I've just acknowledged to myself that I had to like, okay, when you make a mistake, just tell everybody that you made that mistake. Cause it becomes much easier to handle if you tell them that. Cause if you get to a point where somebody's coming back at you and saying like, well, what happened when Pete did this two months ago and didn't say anything sort of thing, it just becomes harder. So like if we're all again, better at like acknowledging mistakes that we make along this path, it becomes easier to talk about and work through and progress. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
Yeah. Everything's a work in progress. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, I hope that we all give each other a little bit more space in that progress as, as a community, you know, Salt Lake, I think does a pretty good job of that, but I think we can always do better as a community to give each other space for that growth and progress. Yes. So you, uh, you're now like kind of just going back to your timeline, early twenties, you're, you're about to go on your first youth link trip. Talk me through like, what's in your, what's in your head? What's in your mind? Like, are you excited and engaged <laughs> about like all, all the volunteer work, looking yeah, at the international well, trip? What's, what's your, your thoughts about it? To be honest, the, th- the, the first trip I went on with YouthLink, I was most excited to go to Thailand with my wife. Yeah, because she absolutely. was the team leader, and I was what we call a mentor, which Ooh. is like a chaperone type position, because you have a lot of high school and college students. And that first one, sure, I like volunteering, whatever, it sounded great. Um, but I was excited for the travel, yeah. the, that first one. And I was over two uh, committees, we call them, that year of some work we were working on with our partner in Thailand. And one was education, so kind of running an English uh, camp where you help students in conversate with native speakers. That's a really great skill set for them to practice. Right. And then we were trying to figure out this very slippery s- slope of how can we do this newfangled idea of microenterprise? Because uh. this was 2009 and... Muhammad Yunus's model was on the rage back <laughs> yeah, then, and we're yeah. all trying to figure out how to do that. That was like the new wave in humanitarian work back then. And, you know, I, I, had, I had a business degree. I had just been teaching English for a year abroad. I had a TEFL certificate. So I'm like, okay, I can do my best in this. And we went and we went and we had a really good experience and it was great working with the students to help empower them to, you know, teach English lessons at an elementary school and to figure out how to help a group of people make this, um, it was like this roadside bakery mm. more successful um, so that they could provide for their school better. And it was great. And, you know, but, you know, that first year I was really just looking forward to traveling. Yeah. And um, it wasn't actually the trip that made me fall head over heels in love with youth link service model that actually took another trip um and so that was in 2000 summer of nine 2009 i was supposed to go on another trip in 2010 but i didn't because i had a chance to go back to vietnam and teach a summer program for uh, for the summer and then i rejoined to go in 2011 to cambodia okay cambodia is the one that did it for me like that that trip and that experience is really what sold me on this is what I wanted to spend my life doing. And we had a lot of really fun challenges put before us. We had been, you know, it's been a couple more years of trying this whole microenterprise thing. And we kind of learned that was hard to do and hard to manage. It depended on who your partner was abroad. And they kind of brought to the table this idea of a livestock merry-go-round thing. So then we're looking at Heifer International's model to say, okay, maybe the best way to help a community have a little more stability is they don't need a cash economy, but maybe they need livestock because they're agrarian. So we did all this research um, about livestock programs and tried to piece together the, the best thing we could. We were working with a uh, an NGO over in Cambodia that you know, had some understanding of this and we're just trying to figure it out. In the meantime, I'm trying to really empower my high school students to be a part of this because that's part of YouthLink's model is 
you're also empowering youth to see, see how they can make a difference. So we do our darndest to prepare to, to go to Cambodia and run this livestock or start a livestock exchange program, uh-huh. um, learning how to take, you know, we're from Salt Lake, for crying out loud. <laughs> we don't know how to take care of cows and chickens, but we were researching it just so we're prepared with lesson plans. And the other thing is the the international service director at Youth Link at the time said, hey, um, I've committed to 30 women that you'll give them cows, and that's going to be like $21,000. Oh, wow. So we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so we had a huge amount of fundraising to do. Right. So we did all sorts of fundraisers. We had like an adopt an animal for Mother's Day, <laughs> like all sorts of things we did. And we raised that money. Oh, I don't wow. know how we did it. It was a miracle. So then my little committee of students, there were three students on it, and then I was the mentor over it. And then my wife, who was the team leader, was helping a lot as well because it's kind of a brand new thing. We get to Cambodia. Our coordinator had found a group of 30 women, like we had been told, and they were ready to learn all about livestock exchange program and how to make that happen in their life. So we're like, great, okay, we're, we're ready with our lessons. And we kick it off um, with, you know, we have translators there. So, you know, we're doing back and forth with there. And we're, we introduce the concept and it's starting off well. People are excited. You know, we're giving them the basics. So we're like, okay, come back because there's like several days of lessons and then it, you go from there. So that's great. And then later in the week, it was time for a lesson about um, p- taking care of pigs. Mm. I remember the student who was teaching that one, he had no idea how to take care of pigs, but he had done a really good lesson plan. And we also, we look at ourselves as facilitators, right? Because right. they know how and you can facilitate that. But he was talking about that. And one of the things he brought up was, well, um, after you make a pen, like get a pen together so the pig can have a safe place to be, then you need to put a mosquito net over the top of it to protect the pigs from mosquito-borne illness. And... The translator translates, and after the translator's done with that part, there's there were two ladies in the back, and they started giggling, like shaking with laughter, crying tears. They can't even get their composure. Their hair's like falling out of their ponytails. Like they're just laughing so hard, and we're sitting there like, oh my gosh, like what is going on? What weird trans thing got translated? Who made some? inappropriate joke in Khmer that we didn't understand. So we're like waiting to figure out why on earth these people have lost their composure. And so the translator's managing that. And then he turns to us and he translates, oh, they're laughing so hard because you told them to put mosquito nets over their pigs, but they don't even have that for their children. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're like, oh my gosh. So, well, there's a learning curve. Yeah. Like we could go down the path of how dumb we are as Americans that we didn't know that and we didn't ask the right questions and we're imposing upon them. But I don't believe in that kind of thing. I believe that you then learn and you pivot. Right. And that's how you do better. So, okay, we pivoted and we said, great, let us go figure out how to get your community mosquito nets and then we'll go from there. Right. And we'll address that need. Um, and then another day... There was uh, one of the students was ready to teach about bookkeeping. So she had notebooks for them all and calculators and pens. And they sat down and she handed them all out. She's beginning to give them a bookkeeping lesson. And she's like, okay, write this down. One person writes something down. The rest of them aren't. And 
in that moment, we learned that the illiteracy rate in this area was in the 90s. Mm. Okay, well, okay, we can handle that. Do you guys know, do you have anyone that know, that could help you with this? We're like, yeah, 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 tomorrow we'll bring them. So the next day, they bring their kid. And their kid is acting as a scribe for them. And, and it becomes a family ordeal of figuring yeah. that out. And you know, and, and it happened and you just keep problem solving and figuring out and asking questions and being responsive until by the end, they all, they finished their curriculum. They signed their contracts with their thumbprints because they, a lot of them couldn't even write their names. Right. Um, and then we were able to give, distribute the cows and the pigs and the chickens. And so it depended on what they wanted. Um, and the cool thing was, is it didn't stop there. So, you know, we we're only there for two weeks and then we leave. Um, I was able to go back the next year with another group and, uh, and they reported on all the things they, they had accomplished and the struggles they'd had and the successes they had had. And, um, that went well. And then it was two years after that, I had a chance to go visit again. And a bunch of them had already like fulfilled their promise of passing on their, uh, livestock to another family or all of these different things. and But really that only could happen because our coordinator over there was still managing right. it all when, while we weren't there. So I, I learned in that moment, I mean, all sorts of things about humanity, but also that as a foreign NGO, um, we exist to them, to our partners abroad, as kind of a vitamin B12 shot to mm -hmm. what they're already doing. So we are there to help them achieve their mission. We're not imposing our mission on them, but and our primary mission is to empower our youth. Yeah, yeah. And our secondary mission is to promote the missions of our partners. Yeah, so, so. since you just did a, a wonderful job kind of painting a picture of what some of that looks like in country, maybe explain that, that second part of the mission of what you do in country and that structure of that, because I think it's a, a brilliant structure of, of how YouthLink has decided to go about that. Yeah, so many years ago, before I was ever a part of YouthLink, they decided their mission was to create lifetime humanitarians and that they would focus on developing youth here. Um, rather than adopting that we were just going to stay in this one community or at this one school in Kenya for the rest of our time, which some NGOs do, you know, right. they've adopted one place. But we thought, no, back in the day, the board at that time said, no, this is going to be about the students. And then any work that we do abroad has to be supporting whatever the experts there are, are coding for. At the time, that wasn't, you know, now we look back with the knowledge we have about how to do international work, and of course, that's how you have to do it. Back then, that was, nobody knew what they were doing back then. Yeah. Everyone was just kind of willy-nilly trying to do projects abroad. But it was so wise. Like, what an amazing decision that those early leaders in YouthLink land and, and Judy and that board thought of that, you know, we have to partner with other NGOs that know what they're doing better than us, because how could we ever know what a village in Kenya or Cambodia or Mexico needs? Right. We don't. We can offer access to resources to help them accomplish their goals, and that could be through capital or that can be through volunteer power to help get things going. But... Um, so what our model looks like is we find an existing NGO that's run by people from that community and have to buy in in that community and know what they're doing. And then we say, hey, well, here's our group. Here's uh, some of the things that we could do for you. What could work for you? What, how do you think you could use what we bring to the table to support your 
mission and your goals. And then we work out a plan. And those usually fall into categories. Like they always need some kind of infrastructure support. So that could be us finding the capital help to help them build a school or a deep water well or, you know, just depends what they need. Right. Um, they love to tr- practice English with native speakers. So, okay, great. We can do that. Yeah. And, um, and go and work with the kids, especially, or, or adults, whoever really wants to. Um, community health, we don't ever uh, treat things. We're not, that's not within our license to go and tr- do medical clinics, but we can do a lot of pr- proactive teaching. Um, we often do uh, projects like we work with Days for Girls, for example, to do reusable pad projects and use their curriculum, which is spectacular to help uh, with that. Um, and just other things, you know, sometimes like in Peru, they need deworming meds. Okay, we can provide deworming meds, and that's really powerful for them. So it just depends uh, what they need. Um, and then we just do it, but really it, re- it relies on our partner over there to, f- to see it through for the rest of the year that we're not there. Yeah. My experience with YouthLink is a lot of the time the partner is from Rotary International. Is it is it kind of a mix now where it's Rotary International sometime and then other times it's just whatever NGO you kind of research and think might be yeah, a good fit a for mix. YouthLink? So some of our sites are still coordinated by Rotarians um, and some are like legit NGOs that have a whole structure and system behind them. Um, both, if it's with an NGO, they're structured in a way that it's it's an easier lift when it's a rotary a rotarian you have to find the right one that maintains that passion which we have those but it you know rotary is really great but they're all volunteers it's sometimes easier to have an ngo who it's literally their full-time job to do that kind of stuff Uh, but we still work with both yeah yeah that's true i remember the days trying to work with some of the rotary members that had the the greatest intentions but sometimes they left things last minute the and day, were, they're volunteers. Yeah, yeah. they're volunteers and had other things going on in their life but yeah that that model i really like it because it does combine those two things of like hey we want to do something internationally but we want to do it thoughtfully let's involve those people that live in that community and then just offer our you know willpower our, our vitamin b12 to come in and help with whatever else is is needed for those those two weeks or so when mm-hmm. you think volunteers go a common criticism that anyone in our industry gets is well why don't you just fund their projects and why do you send youth over there You're using so much money to send to send youth over wouldn't it be better just to give those ngos that money and leave it alone and my answer is no because guess what? No one is going to donate to fund those projects until they've had a personal, emotional attachment to that area. Like, yeah. It's impossible for people to just throw a dart at, a, at the globe and it, let's say it lands in Yemen and say, okay, I'm going to magically care about Yemen and start donating to Yemen. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to get my money to – there's too many things, right? Right. But if I go to a place and I interact and I make those relationships, am I going to support every time I can when somebody's asking me for monetary support? Yes, I'm going to do that. And it, that's how you know humanitarians are born. It has to be at an emotional level. That's how philanthropists are born. That's how good philanthropists are born. And 
so my answer is absolutely it's worth the resources to send people uh, abroad because it really helps you get out of our American bubble. Yeah. And we really do live in a bubble that's absolutely doesn't match how the rest of the world really operates. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a perfect opportunity to transition to that other part of creating youth uh, or uh, lifetime humanitarians by working with youth is, uh, you know, this this idea that we're giving youth an experience a whole physical experience of traveling somewhere, physically being somewhere, and providing volunteer service, and in hopes that that experience helps them to grow and expand their mind and their thoughts about, okay, volunteering, being a humanitarian should be an important part of my life. Absolutely. You know, and through our program, in order to go on a trip with us, they have to do 80 hours of service at home. And we don't make them do it with YouthLink. I mean, we do run an after-school program uh, that supports refugee and immigrant youth, and they could do that one, but they could go to the primary children's hospital. They could go to a care center. They could go to um, a cl- even be a peer tutor in a class that's working with students with, with special needs, anything. I mean, we're kind of a brokerage of volunteers as well. And really what we want the, the students to figure out is, wow, if I show up and I'm doing good, then something's being accomplished that if I wasn't showing up, nobody's there to do it for me. Um, And that's power right there. Like if you're a 17-year-old and you realize that if you're showing up at um, the food bank and you're working on that and working with families and doing that, and you learn that if you stopped coming, they couldn't do that anymore because they don't have the resources, that's power right there. What an amazing thing for a teenager to figure out that if they just give two hours a week, they can make their community better. That's that's power. That's absolutely a, a good form of power. Yeah, and that's what we're trying to do. And so, as we we hope they form those habits through our rigorous expectations. So by the time they get home from a really great trip, and they're on a high, that they're like, oh, I can just keep volunteering. Yeah, I'll just uh, keep what doing I did this. locally. Yeah. And even if they never come back to YouthLink ever again, but if they keep volunteering because they realize the power that they have to do good, that's a win for us. Yeah. Like that's, if I never see them again, they never join us for anything, they never give us a dollar, but they still keep doing service, that's a win. Yeah, that's what you're wanting. Yeah. Do you find that most students come with some sort of experience or idea about volunteering or a lot also just like, this is all new to me, but I, I, I'm in? <laughs> D, all of the above. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so some kids were, would maybe be in the category I was probably in where they were already doing that kind of thing and yeah. they're naturally interested. Some come to us thinking, oh, this looks cool. Like this would be a way to go to another country and okay, I have this hoop to jump through with this local service and then some come to us because their parents know how powerful of a, a form, transformative experience this can be, and they kind of force them into it uh, a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah. All of the above, but the joy is once they really start doing their service locally, that those that the love starts uh, forming. You know, it starts growing in their heart, and they yeah. start loving it and falling in love with it. So by the time they get abroad, they've already kind of been won over. But frankly, they needed that external motivation of a trip to start engaging. And really, our hope is that the external motivation will turn into an internal motivation. 
Yeah. Because we're just humans. We need, we need bent. We need incentives. Yeah, definitely. We all need that the external motivation at times in our lives. And if, again, if the external motivation is able to turn somebody or just even if it's a percentage of people into this internal motivation to serve, just the, the net benefit is just exponential for communities and the world in general. Absolutely. And what I also love about our service year model is that it's open to anyone. A lot of nonprofits and a lot of work like that seems to work on, you know, kind of a narrower definition of who's at risk and a marginalized population. And of course, all of those programs need to exist to help any population that needs support. But YouthLink's kind of open to anybody. Like our definition of who could benefit from our, our model is, doesn't matter. It, you know, it could be your most privileged person on the planet is still going to benefit from something like this. They're going to learn what they need to learn. Or you could have someone that's been struggling and they're in the margins and we make it possible for them to also do this program and they're going to learn what they need to learn. And so it's really a coming together of all populations of people. It's not just one demographic that we're focusing on. It's all youth. Yeah, and I've noticed that over the years that YouthLink has done a great job of of meeting that whole spectrum of all youth being able to to be involved. And I imagine at some level that's a a scholarship program or or maybe explain how those other youth can get involved. Kind of a big part of my job is to uh, raise money for what we call our financial aid pot so that any students from any kind of socioeconomic background can join this because, you know, it's still costs money to go yeah. abroad. I mean, it's Gotta not get cheap. On a plane and everything, yeah. And it's not the only way to accomplish our mission, but wow, it sure is a good formula. Yeah. It really is. And so we do a, as much as we can to remove those barriers um, for students, especially if it's financial through financial aid. And, you know, people like to donate to that financial aid pot because they've seen that it's mostly from past parents who they've seen it change their kid forever. And they're like, yes, I want to make sure that all other, as many other kids as possible can do this and know that people are willing to invest in this kind of work for them. And, I mean, it's a powerful model. It really works. I remember going through my local service, and I think probably change of, things have changed a little bit since it was 2010 maybe that I went away for sure, or maybe 2008. 2008, yeah. See, I get it all mixed up because then I, I, I skipped <laughs> a year, and then I went 2010, 11, yeah. 2008. I remember part of that was, yeah, there was a, a local gentleman that was helping to donate, a, maybe to me specifically, but maybe to just kind of our our Thailand team, and I was doing some small reports or emails to, to him. Yeah, you had a sponsor. Uh, yeah, a sponsor mm-hmm. to say, hey, this is what I'm doing, this is where I'm volunteering, this is what I'm working on, and and it it did make a difference for me because I, I, I recognized that there was somebody in the community that was, okay, this is pretty cool that this guy is willing to, to sponsor, but then it also recognized to me like I'm putting words down in a letter or an email to to him explaining what I'm doing and it helped me to really gain some insight of like ah, I'm actually doing a decent amount here to to help out the community and this is what I'm getting out of it so I think it was an insightful model to help me realize like okay there's a lot going on here a lot of moving pieces mm-hmm. and again that net benefit is is huge it's only positive 
Absolutely. And like you're saying, until there's a metacognition of what you're doing, until you can put language to it, it's too abstract to fully appreciate. So we do a lot of work with our students to reflect and share and write and and because you need to. You need yeah. to look back at the whole picture because when you're in it just going through the motions, sometimes you don't realize yeah. And then once they rec- recognize that with language, then that's all the more empowering for when they're done and they go about the rest of their life. They've defined what those characteristics and those skill sets were that they had a successful time with, and then they can apply them to whatever else they're doing. Yeah. Just on a, a quick side note, you know, two two episodes ago I had on Moody Hobb, who his his main – uh, like thing was writing and his passion for writing and how writing can transform you so uh you know shout out to moody because i think yeah like what we're talking about right now if kids put words to this and sometimes might be writing sometimes it might just be verbally sharing but if they put words to their experience it does make a a bigger change for them for sure yes i listened to that episode <laughs> yeah um and i know as a former english degree person I know the power of language. Yeah. You know, we need it. And I know you're a therapist as well. So you know the power of putting language to abstract things is really important to Absolutely. our development. Yeah. So uh, maybe jumping a little bit ahead to where we are now in YouthLink. We, we, we call it YouthLink land still, don't yes. we? Yeah, yes, YouthLink we land. <laughs> so we're jumping ahead to 2022. YouthLink has grown I don't know, take some levels exponentially in terms of their their ability to offer opportunities both at a local and international level. Kind of explain where YouthLink's at now. Yeah, well, um, we have grown a lot up until the COVID uh, started. Yeah. And now, you know, that's been a really big Cursed challenge. COVID. <laughs> yeah, that wretched thing. Uh, but we've just expanded how, the number of types of offerings that we have. Um, there's the service year that we've been talking about. That's one of five programs that we run at YouthLink or in YouthLink land. <laughs> um, and that, when I started as a volunteer in 2009, there were, what, three or four teams back then. And now, you know, in our biggest year before COVID hit, we had 15 teams. Uh. So it's grown a lot. Um, we also have our real-life program, which is where we partner with different uh, community organizations around Salt Lake, like um, the Refugee Immigrant Center Asian Association, um, Promise South Salt Lake um, Project Access, to go and support their after-school programming efforts with refugee and immigrant youth. So we're just like a vitamin B12 shot for what is happening with those um, partners. And hopefully we're adding value and making their lives all that easier because, you know, it's it's hard work uh, to do those types yes. of things. Yeah. Uh, resources are tight and we try to alleviate that. And we bring volunteers to the table and curriculum and we do it for, for free to, with those partners. We write our own grants. So that's a big part. Now, that's a, one of the biggest parts of what YouthLink does is real life program we also work with utah state to help run some of their study abroad trips Um, we work with professors with whatever their academic background is then we co we co-design with them a custom trip that matches their background to all of our connections around the world so this summer for example i'm working with um, we're doing four trips one is with the outdoor product design department in at usu and we're where we've 
created a trip to go to Nepal where they'll work with women's groups who are doing vocational training and looking at factories and markets and supply chain. And um, that, But we mix in this very human element of how do you really connect on a more meaningful level with, with people abroad rather than when you're a tourist, you know, you don't always have those opportunities to connect with local people. You're kind of on the tourist track, but we kind of, YouthLink's connections, we can undo that. Or working with a global health professor to go to Peru and look at um, Western and indigenous medicine and, and, and evaluate what that looks like down there and how that works or, um, and interact with those communities. I'm working with a professor whose background is in international relations and genocide studies, and we're doing a trip to Rwanda and we were looking at what that looked like and what peacekeeping efforts looks like. So there's some really cool things that we're doing yeah. at a higher level. Yeah, that's awesome. And we also run a scholarship program called the Young Humanitarian Award where students who are just really awesome at service, they don't have to be in YouthLink. They hopefully are in YouthLink, but they don't have to be in YouthLink, but they're just awesome at service. They can apply for a college scholarship. Um, it's not academics, it's not athletics, it's service. And um, it's the state's largest scholarship for service-minded students. Yeah, you may have seen the billboards along I-15 and I-80 and stuff. I, <laughs> yeah, they pop I, up. Yeah, they pop up and <laughs> great billboards. Yeah. So, yeah, so I do a lot. So all of those things, you put it together, I mean, there's a lot going on. We're also in the middle of a capital campaign to build a community center in Murray because a lot of what we're doing... Um, we just need more space and especially as we were doing a lot more locally um, with the real life program and other th initiatives that we're doing uh, we just need a space and a training space rather than beg borrowing and stealing space <laughs> from wherever we can find it yeah, so that's, that works that's for a, big a while thing. right but yeah where how how is the capital campaign coming where are you at with that yeah we're about halfway through raising our the money that we need for that will need a grand total of about four million dollars and we're about halfway there that's that's um, awesome progress yeah so covid's slowed that up but yeah. that's okay we've made peace with it we're just yeah. on the journey that we're on and right. that's okay um but we'll get there yeah uh, so, in some weird ways i think covid caused people to give more but you know in other factors it definitely puts mm -hmm. pumps the brakes on yes, a lot of things it depends what you're asking people yeah. to support yeah. yeah exactly all all those things that you described you know, are definitely helping the community. And just to give my own personal plug for the real life program, you know, the programs I run at Asian Association of Utah benefit from the real life program at YouthLink. And we've benefited for, I don't know how many years now, five or six, seven, Something I don't know, like that. quite a few years. And yeah, without those programs, I think me and my staff would have a lot more work cut out for us that we, we can handle. Yeah. So we appreciate Hopefully the we vitamin. Hopefully we help with your burnout. Uh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. You help with our, our vitamin B12 shot that we, that we need. <clears throat> yeah, the my, same thing we do abroad, we try to do here. Yeah, and my yeah. staff, they are, you know, often like, oh, when does YouthLink start again? Can they start any earlier? You know, <laughs> that, that sort of thing. So yeah. I, we really appreciate the support and help, and it does make a big difference. And we get to interact with the youth that are doing their local service, um, and these youth are... 99% of them are really great and awesome um, and do a great job and really benefit our program. So we really appreciate that. I should, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm a being appreciative for Asian Association, which I should be, but I'm personally very appreciative of as well because it really helps me out and, and what I'm trying to accomplish as well. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. Glad to hear that feedback. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Um, 
on a broader sort of community Utah level, another question that I had, and Utah often gets touted as the number one volunteer state. Is that true? Is, it, is there actually statistics kept about, you know, volunteering and all this sort of stuff, or do we just put that gold star on ourselves? Because, I mean, to some extent, I think it is true, but, like, I don't I th- know. Well, it's true. I think it's true. It's also said to be the most generous state. There's the most giving. Um but all things Utah, it's kind of fascinating to untangle what that means in terms of the LDS culture here because, you know, it's a really service-oriented culture and religion. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a big part of why Utah uh, wins that ranking yeah, scale. I would agree. What I find is interesting is, um, and I have no idea any da- data to, to back this up or anything, but um, we, you know, we are both in the realm of working with refugee uh, refugees in Utah and we absolutely benefit from having the that standard set by the LDS church of they're very open and very supportive of refugee resettlement here and people kind of follow along with that and right. so it it really makes our lives easier I think to be in Utah which you know as a red state you, know, you never know how that might go right with a refugee resettlement program but wow what an amazing thing it is to uh, have that dynamic working in our favor for for refugee resettlement and you know again i don't know how to really quantify that but it seems anecdotally yeah correct yeah um, i was just curious if you knew of something that i didn't know that like there's actually some data collected behind this and utah gets some extra money from the federal government because they do such a oh, good no, job right? <laughs> I, I don't, don't think i don't think we get any perks <laughs> we just you know, we just have communities that rally. There's there's an idea for the next presidential candidate make some sort of like state by state competition of like who can do the they best should. service because you know that that, like that healthy competition. You remember those days in elementary school or whatever where you're competing against another class or other students and you're like, oh yeah, I'm really gonna do this. And we, we did totally those things should. for for reasons that were not as good as as service and building that hey, but whatever external motivation they need it's true. fine it yeah. still gets a good outcome yeah that's true <laughs> but yeah. yeah we really are in a really service-minded state and i you know i don't know again but i i've sometimes thought about would something like youth link work in other states maybe yeah but wow it really it, the the stage was really set in utah because i think people think that direction a lot i'm sure other states do too i just don't know but yeah, and I don't know what your feeling is, but it, it it seems like that, of course, kids that are religious and LDS are getting involved, but every everybody else is getting involved too, so I think there's room for like oh, that. Oh, totally. You know, there's some other motivation happening there as well. and Well, maybe not a different motivation, but it's service, but coming from a different place of... I think it's just know. become part of our culture. Yeah. And I think the service part of it transcends the LDS or non-LDS cultural divide that we sometimes see here. Like YouthLink strives very hard to be to remain non-denominational. Um, we are not affiliated with any any religion at all. And I actually think people love that about YouthLink because it's someplace they can go and they can engage in the purity of service and they're checking all of the the complicated boxes that sometimes religion puts people into and those just are put to the side and you're just person to person. 
It doesn't matter what religious background you are to serve with us. It doesn't matter who you are that we're serving you. It just becomes a non-issue. Yeah. But we also value and honor that that's a huge part of people's identity and their cultural norms. And so like when we go abroad, we'll on whatever their holy day is, often it's Sunday, no matter, even in Thailand, I think Sunday's kind of the day they reserve for that and they're mostly Buddhist, we'll go to temple or to church of whatever the local denomination is because it's a huge part of understanding that community more. Um, but we we do actually have a policy against proselytizing any given religion where that's not our purpose yeah. to go there. It's to learn. It's not to impose. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's a safe, it makes it a safe place for a lot of people to be in YouthLink. For sure, yeah. I, I get that feeling that the students all get along with each other. And, you know, of course, there's some nervous interaction at the beginning of their journey but by the end everybody's such a good friend and you're keeping in yeah. contact with everybody and it's really the service <laughs> once you're that, stuck on a plane yeah. that long with each other That's and then true. like checking in on each other's um, gastrointestinal issues <laughs> for two weeks you just bond long layovers yeah. and yeah <laughs> lost luggage whatever it might be yeah yep. we've all been through all of it um i'm interested to explore a little bit more of that community level because sounds like you grew up here and spend your whole life in Utah more mm-hmm. or less and you know you lived abroad for some of that time I also grew up in in Utah and spent my life here what looking back perspective wise what shifts have you seen in in Utah in terms of of service in general has it only grown um you know you're there's the LDS influence what other influence have you noticed come up hmm. well that's a big question well, I think that, you know, looking at it from a perspective of youth, I think over time there's been, it's become a lot more in vogue, so to speak, for youth to engage in stuff like this. Yeah. I think that the, the younger generations, starting really with the millennial generation and now it's kind of shifted down to Gen Z, they're more aware of people on the margins and, you know, Old codgers sometimes have a problem with that because they're like, oh, you're so sensitive about these people and you're going to offend them. But it's also like, no, I'm actually seeing the, their humanity and I don't want to offend their humanity. There's like an important difference there. And so I love working with the youth demographic because they sometimes seem to be more in tune with with that than when we, as people age, they kind of think you know yeah they stop having growth mindset sometimes yeah that and old kinda, phrase of you can't teach an old dog new tricks sort of thing yeah. yeah so i think over time i think just the willingness to engage in service has in, increased a lot um but you know s- something that sometimes concerns me is and i think this has been exacerbated by covid is we've been required to be so separate from each other that and you know, you I'm sure you've seen this in your work as a therapist people are so starving and they're suffering a lot emotionally because they're not connecting in the ways that we need to as human beings i mean find me any introvert and they'll still agree that they still need humans yeah to interact with and covid's been hard it's made it harder to do that in a in a more meaningful way and so as I talk with parents and with students who are thinking to join the service year with YouthLink especially, I say, you know, first we have to acknowledge that we have been through trauma and we're continuing through 
traumatic events. And we need to acknowledge that and be kind to ourselves about it. And then also then work toward how do we work on resolving that or, or healing from that. And I, really, I know I drink the service Kool-Aid, but I also really believe that through getting out in your community and serving and understanding other people's um, the troubles that they go through and understanding their adversity helps frame, reframe your own understanding of your own yeah and helps you connect and to be you know more more open to other people and i really think if we all just engaged in better service we might heal from you know besides covid being a physiological issue <laughs> you get sick from it yeah. but healing the psychological part of it yeah i think service could be a really big part of that solution I think, but that's, it's, it's a struggle. Right yeah, now. for sure. Yeah, and I think it's beautifully said, and it is very needed. And even if it's like if you're still, you know, on the fence about service itself, like getting involved in your community at, at some level is is a huge thing. So speaking to Ali, you know, from last episode of the podcast, he came as a single person from Iraq trying to figure out community. And one of the things he said was like, oh, I got just involved in Make Salt Lake, which is a place for creative folks to get together and work on creative projects together and how he found community and, and love there because it was just a place of community. And like you, like you described, COVID has kind of torn us apart from those those places like Make Salt Lake or like Youthlink where you get together and physically are interacting with people and it really does make a, a huge difference on on mental health we're not intended to sit in our houses and look at our devices and just get divided based upon the rhetoric that's out there we're intended to interact with each other and have conversations so that we can hear what our community and what the people in our community are all about mm-hmm. yeah yeah and we've been forced to hole up for so long with our only connection are those toxic platforms yeah. it's just exacerbated a problem that was already brewing yeah that's, that's just true it was definitely there and it just got a lot worse it got a lot worse yeah but you know i'm hopeful i think pendulums always swing back and forth and i choose to believe as we come out of this that people are going to make a conscious effort to evaluate what leads them to happiness and contentedness and what doesn't and i I mean, I, I, I remain hopeful and optimistic that we'll get through all of this divisiveness and we'll come together um, and we'll just learn from each other. And I, I really think getting involved in any kind of community, anything, it doesn't have to be youth link. We don't have a, a monopoly on that by any stretch. But right. Wow. It's just a powerful thing to do. For sure. Uh, going back to this recipe of, of kids, you know, being a little bit more aware of humanity, humanity as, as you put it, what's that recipe for that? Is there factors that you think, is this like a, a testament to us as human beings of doing a pretty good job progressing year after year in, in terms of recognizing humanity, humanity, or is it something else that you think, or oh, there's probably a lot of things, but I'm just curious to hear your thoughts about that. Well, I I always try to r- r- put positive frames on things, yeah. right? So um, some people might argue that as you see issues come out in society where we're trying to shine a light on certain issues, whether that has to do with 
um, race relations or with um, gender or sexuality, some people will look at those things and be like, oh, they're trudging up problems and oh, this is a sign of the times. It's wickedness <laughs> and it's and it's blah, blah, blah. I just don't see it that way at all. I'm like, no, like these issues have always existed. It's just no one's dared to bring them to the surface. Yeah. And I love that we're able to have those conversations now. And yep, they can be uncomfortable. And yep, they can get exhausting, especially when you're in a position of privilege and didn't ever have to really worry about it. Yeah. But I look at those types of things as an absolute blessing to our society that, hey, we don't, people don't have to like suffer in silence anymore. They, we can openly address those types of things. So I don't look at those things as a sign of the times, as people sometimes say. I look at it as, wow, this is such an opportunity to um, build better relationships and right wrongs into the future. And, um, and I think once those doors start opening, they're hard to close. Yeah. Like you can't go back. Like once you pop, once you escape your bubble of physical bubble, if you travel or your mental bubble, as you interact with people other than you and, and are open to that, it's hard to go back to the way it was before. So I think that's why it just keeps growing and growing in terms of people being willing to engage in this kind of work. Um, does service always fall into the category of where people thinks the best way to address our, our further? Well, like we talked about at the beginning, some people are kind of critical of that, but mm. doesn't mean they're right. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of like at, at this ground level, it's creating safety and space for these things to, to come up, for people to speak about things that are affecting them. So whether that be sexuality, racism, uh, not having enough resource, it's creating a, a space where people are feeling more safe to talk about it. And then those in different positions in life are, are probably at a certain level also being more willing to, to listen to that. Yes, I think so. Yeah. And will some people push against it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, nobody likes change, right? It's right. uncomfortable, but it's inevitable. But it's, it's inevitable. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. And I think as we kind of push push out on, on this change and creating this space, that space pushing out these extreme voices of yes or no or black or white or whatever, I think they're slowly being pushed out to a certain level. But I, I think right now we're probably experiencing a time, a time when those voices are strong and loud because they're getting to a point where they now have to yell about it, mm -hmm. right? It's no longer being able and to... And a good thing about social media, because, I mean, I we could always just rain on that parade. It's given people that normally maybe were more easily sidelined a, a platform. Yeah. Sure, people that shouldn't have the platform also have the platform. But right. still, yeah. there's an opportunity for all of those voices to have a platform. Yeah. Yeah, there's... Yeah, so we there's... Could... Absolutely positive things in that in that direction, along with problematic things as well. Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. We could go down to a go down a big rabbit hole on like the positives and negatives <laughs> of, of social media and what it brings and doesn't bring. And you almost have to you know get a PhD in social media to be able to to sort through a lot of it sometimes. <laughs> but it's, yes. it's definitely I think you know creating a net positive in a in a way that's it's fun to experience. But yeah, it comes with those challenges, and you, on a personal level, have to be aware of those challenges, or else you get caught real, real fast. Absolutely, I think that should be a new curriculum in language arts class. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I 100% something agree. Something like that. Please. Somewhere. Yeah, something Not you that ta- it's the teacher's job to do everything, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, but it, I think it's a good space for that to be discussed and taught about. You know, you, you see these memes lately about, like, the things I didn't learn in school, like, uh, you know, learning about whatever it is, and then, like, but I don't know how to do my taxes. You know, like, maybe taxes and social media navigation are not the same thing, but maybe it's like, hey, there's a, a space for a class about emotion, social, emotional sort of learning and yeah, how it ties that into... A, that is a, a rising thing in, yeah. in education. My wife is a principal of a high school, and she told me a while back that when she was talking to a student about some online bullying and trolling that was going on, she was just addressing that, and it kind of came out that they're like, well, of course I'm going to be doing that behavior online. Isn't that why social media exists? <laughs> so, like, these new generations are, they're, like, social media natives, whereas maybe we were social media immigrants, I guess we yeah. could call it. Um, we learn the ropes as adults. They honestly think that's why it was created, was just to be trolls. There just blows their mind that that isn't what it's supposed to be for. I mean, I can't speak for all of them, but right. you know, if some of them are saying that, that's a little concerning. Yeah, that is. That is actually pretty mind-blowing yeah. that, that somebody would say that. They're like, wait, this is not what, what that's for. And certainly there are people on social media that that is their primary interaction on social yeah, media is to troll or bully. Just, that is why they use their social media. Yeah, and if if they don't have to put their real name or their real picture or their real identification on there, it becomes that much easier, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's sad to to see those parts. I have parts no of answers it. for how to deal with this, but wow, it's it's a big one. Yeah, I have kids, so it terrifies me for that in their future. <laughs> yeah, I I don't have kids, but of course many of my friends do, and I have these conversations with them often. I'm like, it's got to be really scary and hard to be a parent in this day and age. But you could probably say that about any time, but like. There's so many things going on, and it's we do get this like doom and gloom, fear, like fear for the worst. I think we'll probably come out of it okay, but it is, it gets a little scary. Yeah, people are still good, yeah, in their souls. People still do tend toward good things, and if they have to go on a journey to really sift out what that means for themselves, then great, that's why you're alive, yeah. So where does service grow from here as a community, as a state? Where do, where do we go from here to, to grow it, make it even better than it already is? Hmm. Well, I, th- I think as we are coming out of this fog of COVID, there's so much opportunity out there where people are going to be really searching for new community and where do they fit in anymore, that there's opportunity there. I also think that we have to create the communities that we want. And so right now is such a, an opportunity for people who want to kind of reinvent themselves or re or like build something different for themselves that they can seek seek communities and build communities as they're coming out of this. And I hope that, um, you know, service is such a great way to engage in, in your community and to be connected with each other that I look at it as an opportunity to just come together more. Um, I think a lot of it has to come from within. I don't think any en- single entity is just going to be able to conjure up 
something huge. But I think as you know, as we come out of this, people are going to be so hungry for connection that maybe we'll see some of the most beautiful things happen after COVID. I mean, there's got to be some good thing come out of all of this, right? Yeah. No. Absolutely. I agree. I think that's brewing right now, and we're we're getting closer to that point where we all are wanting more connection, more creativity, more creating of community, and and we're going to get out there and do it. I'm excited for what that looks like. And it sounds like you're you're saying like, okay, let's create community. And part of the part of the ways, of course, that you're focusing on creating community is that service aspect, getting out and, and serving and creating a community that we all like and want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. Um, if you were mayor of Salt Lake, governor of Utah, what? what action would you take? I know this is a big question and maybe you you've, haven't thought about this at some level, but I, uh. I like to like kind of just chat with people about these sort of bigger ideas and topics because I think uh, when you don't have a ton of time to think about it, some beautiful ideas just come about from oh, just sitting I, here and talking. I have an answer for that. Oh, oh, I, that love I, that. Just came I love that. I love <clears> that. <throat> I really believe that if there was some, I wouldn't know how exactly how to do it, but if there was some way to help people to interact with outside of their normal little bubbles of people, and um, whether that was through some kind of curriculum in school or just like a challenge for their communities to engage with where you really had a, a genuine opportunity to interact with people that are different than you, not your neighbors, because, you know, you all have your own unique problems, but there's a certain level of homogeny within any given neighborhood. Uh-huh. But if you really had an, an opportunity to understand more uh, just different life perspectives through coming together, and, and and I think service would be a great one. Why not fund nonprofits the way they need to be funded that yeah. would be a miracle yeah i love that i really I'll think that that you. could be like a character development a defining character development thing for our society if we just if that became more of a priority like we have what a billion dollar surplus right now in the state and they're like for the love like can we there's got to be something good we can do to show that we're going to put our money where our mouth is yeah I, I get concerned because it doesn't make sense to me that, you know, elected officials or people in power in general don't, like, buy into this idea of, like, let's put the money into stuff like service or nonprofit work and really front load that and, you know, smaller portions to these other things where we're giving huge portions to, I don't know exactly what it is lately, but it doesn't seem like there's this effort to, like, really put in good, 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 because we think that the investment in good is going to grow our community in the way we want. It's kind of like, let's treat the bad, 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 and focus our discussion on bad, 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 and yeah. it feels Wouldn't like we're getting more bad. To do pro- <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, what is it called in healthcare? When you're treating things before they happen. Preventative. Yeah, preventative care. Like, shouldn't we invest in preventative care? Yeah. Like, shouldn't we be... Mind-boggling that we don't do it. If we know there is data that backs up that the reading level of a community by third grade is indicative of how many prisons they're going to need to build. Yeah. Okay, then why are we building prisons with that money? Shouldn't we be doing early education initiatives? Like, why aren't we doing that? I mean, put a billion dollars into that. Yeah, I, I don't get it either. I like, don't get it. I, I mean, money. 
I think money, money and power, you know, yeah. like everybody wants, uh, you know, that certain platform that they can continue to get more money and power. And of course there's so much that goes into that and we can dive deep into that as well. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, you know, maybe that, maybe that's part of my personal efforts and a, a small podcast that hopefully grows is just yeah. put this out of this world. They're like, yeah, let's do more work in prevention, prevention within ourselves, prevention within our families, prevention within our communities. And that can look at a lot of different look at a lot of different ways, but just like that love and goodness aspect, just to start is a easy and simple place to start. Absolutely, let's work on preventative stuff, more stuff for early education. Honestly, I look at what YouthLink's model is as a preventative thing too. Like it's it really it's character development, yeah. and it's at a formative time in in young people's lives of when they're deciding what path they're going to take for the rest of their life. We often joke in YouthLink land that our tagline is creating lifetime humanitarians, but it should also be, we change your major. It's because true. people go through that very human experience and suddenly they're like, oh, I don't, or or it just reframes their major. They're like, I don't, I, I have always wanted to be a doctor, but now I actually want to incorporate this element in being a doctor. I always wanted to be a scientist, but I want to make sure that I'm addressing environmental science as a part of that. Or I used to be want to be a teacher, and now I want to, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's always just, it's it's crazy how often, like, Go find any given YouthLink person, and it'll tell you YouthLink changed their major. You got one right here. <laughs> I mean, I did my major in psychology, so I was pretty much done with that when I first got, or close to done with that when I first got into YouthLink. But then I was undecided what I was going to do after that. I knew going into the world with just a bachelor in psychology would get me some places, but probably not where I wanted to be. And so I was making that decision, and I ultimately decided the social work path, which, you know, all the all these years later, I'm grateful that I took because it has opened so many doors and opportunities to, to be involved in community and to do the service aspect and to be involved in more of this social, emotional part of community, which I really enjoy. I swear we have inspired many people to go into social work. Good. We need more social workers. And, <laughs> and uh, teaching. Yeah. Yep. We need more teachers. We need more social workers. And let's pay teachers and social workers better. That would be great, too. Right? Yes. Yeah. Um, this other... Uh, personal conundrum that I wanted to check in with Justin Powell about is this so I'm I'm reaching this age of like you know later 30s and I uh, this is just an observation it could be totally inaccurate but later 30s where I feel like my personal involvement in service at different levels uh, has been kind of I don't know plateaued maybe like it seems like high school, college, there's a certain excitement and social aspect of service and seems like there's lots of opportunities tied to high school and college getting to like uh, the doldrums of career and like how do I get involved in the service and then you notice later in life as people get closer to retirement I think that comes back on their radar a little bit more. They want to get out and serve their community more or whatever. Help me out. How do I get out, how do I get out of these doldrums? Any thoughts? Oh, it's a good question. Um, <clears throat> how to get out of the, the doldrums. Something that I've come to realize, I mean, I, we're, I think, around the same age, is, and I see this, and I've, I've seen this within YouthLink, but also my involvement in Rotary, is that up until a certain age, oftentimes we rely on other, uh, you know, whether it's a structure in high school or even college, and we kind of 
want to go take part in a project and just kind of put our, lend our support to it and help it, there comes a point where, you know, maybe around this age where we realize that we've developed a lot of skills thus far in our, our lifespan, and maybe it's time for us to consider that we can be the creators of those things mm, and like be the ones that are helping make it happen for other people. And that's something I've really seen in Rotary, if, for example, of you know a lot of younger people, when we survey them, they're like, oh, we don't want to take part in the structure of Rotary. We just want to do the service. And I get it. Like, Going and just doing service is great, but I also know from running a nonprofit that service projects just don't magically organize yeah. themselves. Yeah. And so it's important to uh, get involved in at a structural level of, of helping make sure that those types of things happen. And you start, your joy goes from, at least for me, it goes from being the one doing it to seeing other people get the joy of doing it. And that's a bit of a leap. You get vicarious joy. So I don't know, maybe someone that's like in your position could could say, I mean, I, you already do so much in <laughs> your life, so you're probably a bad example for this, but what what kind of service organization or or a nonprofit out there can I put my might behind and help them at a structural level because then I'm helping make sure that that happens for other future generations that's what I ended up loving about youthlink it went from being a for myself like those first trips were for me eventually it turned into I was doing it because the joy that I had of seeing a new batch of students every year go through this that process is was joy and i would get my that for that team on the first day and i'd be like okay i know none of you i know by the end of nine months i'm gonna be connected with you for the next decade yeah. or more um and so in the grant in the greater scheme of things it's just important to make that leap of you know it, admin sounds boring but it's also really important. Yeah, it is the, one of those necessary evils for sure. But speaking to someone who helps run a nonprofit, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know that it's also boring sometimes, yeah. but it's necessary. Yeah, it is necessary, but I appreciate that, and I think that does help me uh, reground and probably give some other people similar to our age to my diz as well. I know other friends that I have that are in a similar spot have uh, been on a volunteer board for nonprofits. So nonprofits have a, often have a board and sometimes payment is involved in that board. But a lot of time nonprofits a volunteer board and they're looking for young professionals that can dedicate some of their knowledge yeah. and time. And so that that's another great way is like being on a board level seeing things from a, a higher level and being able to dedicate some of your expertise. That's a in, really in, good in idea. And there are opportunities out there. Some boards kind of put out a public ask for people to consider board service. Others, it's more by invitation or yeah. by association. But absolutely, go to, get on LinkedIn. I'm sure there's a lot of postings there when people are looking for boards or or if you're if people are already volunteering for somewhere that they like, maybe tell somebody that works there as high up as they can find that, hey, I'd be interested in learning more about board service. I know as executive director, if somebody were to come to me and say that, I'd be like, kill over with joy. Yeah. Because it's like, wow, that is such a needed thing to help guide things from 20,000 feet that not everyone considers right off until you 
you know, I have to explain it to them yeah. and how, how awesome they could be at it. But yeah. Yeah. And you know, if you see a, an organization doing work that you really are already a passion about, just go approach them. See, see what those mm-hmm. opportunities to be on a board or maybe it's not a board yet, but I'm sure there, there's other opportunities there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I really appreciate you helping me work through that. You know, I work through some of it on my, on a level, but on another level, I think it's good to hear other people's ideas of, of how they, they've gone about it. Maybe on that, that same note. So we're similar in that, you know, we're both working for a nonprofit trying to do that administrative organizing aspect of, of, you know, paid positions, but also volunteer positions. So you're involved in this work all the time. So do you, do you personally find a time to do volunteer work outside of the, the youth link land? And is that with rotary or, or other opportunities? How does that look for yeah, you? My main avenue is through rotary. Okay. Yes. And that fills my bucket a lot. Um, because when it's your job, like you think's my job, as much as I love it, at the end of the day, it's also my job. Right. So it's a different, it's meaningful and it's fulfilling, but it's still my job. Yeah. And so Rotary really does fill that for me. I've also just recently considered applying to be on a board of another organization because just like you said, I'm like, huh, I should do something else. And I feel like I've developed all these skills now at this point in my professional career that I might be able to add something to an organization at that level. I mean, yeah. I ask all my board members to do it. I should go <laughs> take a dose yeah. of my own medicine. Yeah, that, that's true. Yeah. Curious, can you just talk to us about Rotary a little bit? Because I know, I, you know, I know somewhat about it. I've done a few Rotary things, but I think a lot of people probably don't know as much about Rotary. Yeah, so Rotary is a worldwide service club, essentially. And it's in almost every country. And Rotarians are just people that want to come together and do and make their communities better. And there, uh, there are clubs all over the place. Just in Utah alone, there's, I don't know, a few dozen Rotary clubs all over the place. But really, they, they all have their own little subculture and what they really like to focus on. But really, at the end of the day, it's that they're trying to do good and they're doing service. It's also a place where you can build relationships and socialize. So there's a social component, too. We know as we get older, sometimes it's trickier to make friends uh, as you get older. It's just something that happens naturally when you're younger. But it's a great place to find friends as well. Um, I'm a member of the Mill Creek Rotary Club, and we meet um, twice a month at 530 um, PM and our focus is, you know, those meetings are for one of them is kind of for planning because we know there has to be administrative, and then once to hear from someone in the community that's maybe running a nonprofit or has a a cause, and then we do a project a month where we go out and we do service together, and we always tie in some kind of social socializing too because we're social creatures. So my club in particular likes to focus on. Um, supporting youth, supporting refugee, uh, the refugee community. And um, we work a lot with Mill Creek Elementary. We uh, help with their food bank there. So there's just a variety of little things we've adopted and can make sure we're having good impact on. Uh, the other cool thing about Rotary is there's, on so- the side of Rotary, there's a Rotary Foundation, which is money. So people all over the world donate towards this. They um, invest it, and then they allow it to then be put toward uh, grants. Okay. And so, like, as a Rotary Club, if you want to do a grant, um, 
maybe at a local school or something, you can actually apply through Rotary and um, they'll match some of the, your club can raise some money on their own and then they'll match it and they'll give you some extra money to go toward a, a grant. Or uh, there's also what they have called global grants where you can even do uh, find a uh, Rotary Club in another country that might be needing a bigger project done and you can collaborate with many clubs throughout the world to put your fundraising efforts together and support and and put it together in a big way and then Rotary International's foundation will match a lot of that and so you just they're just there to help uh, magnify your impact through their donations so there's a lot of cool avenues that uh, you can use to get good things done yeah I I just learned quite a bit more about Rotary that I didn't know I think it's fun it's it's a it's fun to have a, that social outlet, and then it's fun to uh, go in the community and do good together. I think some, when some people hear Rotary, they might you know, fo- overly focus on that financial aspect or investment of it, but it sounds like a good portion of the projects you do might, you know, maybe you apply for grants through the foundation to do that, but are there other portions where just the Rotary members themselves fund the projects and come together to, to decide to fund yeah, projects, so or how does that work? club is structured a little differently. There's a lot of, you know, different ways they can manage a club. My club, um, I mean, there are some dues that are that you pay because, of course, there are administrative costs to have something that is a structure. But ours are really, really low, what our, our dues are. They're as minimal as they can. And then when we want to do projects, we actually then um, often engage in fundraising or optional. People can just donate some extra depending on if they have the means or not. But my club every year runs a fundraiser called Wine Into Water, where we have a wine tasting event and with hors d'oeuvres and different wines. And then we raise money for a clean water project Mm. that we'll do through a global grant. So we kind of pull a reverse Jesus, like he made the (laughs) water into wine at a wedding. And we take people the wine tasting event and raise money to fund water projects and and other things. And that also helps us fund other projects throughout the year that aren't just for the water, uh, just water projects. But um, so our club chooses to engage in that event as a way to kind of fill the coffers for when we want to accomplish things that require money. Whereas some clubs might just straight up charge you a big old fee to, yeah. you just have to find, find the right fit of a club for you and their they're all different to kind of shop around. That seems a little daunting, I, I get, but... Yeah, yeah, but I think that's a good explanation of if people are interested in sort of the basics of it and how to get involved. Uh, right here in Salt Lake, other than the Mill Creek Rotary Club, what other clubs are in the Salt oh, Lake there's area? There's a whole bunch. There's okay. one in Salt Lake, Murray, Holiday, um, Mid-Valley. I think there's a, a one that's... Uh, Hispanic Latino one that they, that they meet and they speak in Spanish. I would I would imagine um, Draper, Sandy, South Jordan. They're all over the place just okay. here in Salt Lake. So um, probably all the individual towns, townships, and everything. Probably yeah, all but have you don't one. have to go to the one that you live in. It's not like I live in Murray, but I don't have to go to the one in Murray. You can still just find the one that fits you because some of them, like ours, meets in the evening. Some meet in the daytime mm. during lunch lunch break. Yeah, some are before before work and that doesn't always work for anyone right you know, so you have there are enough options that if you look around you might find one that fits your needs needs and culture and schedule and all yep. of that mm-hmm. yeah awesome well i've really enjoyed this conversation about service and i think it's a very refreshing conversation to have 
at this time again where I, you know, I hope we're slow, slowly coming out of COVID where we're all going to get out and do more service and be more active in our community. Um, are there any other things like Youth Link about Rotary or anything else that you, you want to share or, or talk about that we haven't touched on? Gosh, we've touched on a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I just really think if people just really go out and give service a, a try, they might like it a lot. But I'll also say uh, if you're going to engage in service and you're wanting to, to, you know, let's be selfish about it and make it about a bit of your personal growth, try to volunteer for something that is outside your normal comfort zone. Mm, I like that. Like if you know nothing about the refugee community but you're open to it, go go volunteer with that. It'll open your eyes. If, you know, it's sometimes it's easy in Utah vernacular to think of services like, oh, I do a calling at church and that's service. And that's, that's service, you know, that's in the umbrella of service. But you're also working with people in your neighborhood and they, you know, there's needs there, but how cool would it be if you broke out of that little bubble and went somewhere that you weren't comfortable at first? Yeah. And then you're going to become comfortable there and you're just going to have expanded your, your world a little bit. Yeah. And so I just encourage people to do that. And once you break out of that bubble, there is no going back, but in a very joyful way, you're like, oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. That I expanded. I took that healthy risk and did something out of my comfort zone. Yeah, in a very connected way, too, because you'll get connected to, you know, whoever it is that you're you're working or volunteering mm-hmm. with. And you'll be able to, you know, understand the points of life that you agree on and you'd be able to maybe talk to the points that you don't agree on or, or whatever that might look like. Yeah, it's just going to broaden your your world yeah when i my friends asked me recently about like oh who else you want to have on the podcast and you know name a few people here and there but i i went through kind of the lists of all like the stereotypical people might be found in the community i would love to have a super conservative person on i would love to have a super liberal person on i would love to have a super religious whatever religion you want to identify because I'm just fascinated by that. There's and I, value in all of those. Yeah, and I think I personally, you know, part of it's my curiosity, selfishness uh, of, you know, doing this, but part of it's like there's so much to be learned and, and gained if you try to engage with people for, that are different from you. Scary um, part of putting a microphone and headphones in front of a person just like opens up that door a little bit. But it, in, in general life, I think it can be a little scary, but I think once you make that connection – you realize there's nothing to be scared of and you realize why people might think the way that they do based upon their life circumstances, how they grew up, you know, where they went to school, what, whatever it might be. All these things contribute and then you go, oh, I understand why that person thinks that way and you have a little totally. bit more space in your heart for them. I always say if we were to do a Venn diagram, like find someone you feel is so opposite from you. Like let's say it's like just politics if you're what right or left. I bet if a right wing and a left wing person came together and did a nerdy Venn diagram, they would probably find that they have a massive amount of stuff in common. Absolutely. But for some reason, we just fixate on those things on the sides, but allow, make those feel like that's everything. Yeah, yeah. And But, you know, that's clickbait for you. 
No, but it, it's it's so true though. Like if you just sat down and just had a conversation with people and there was no agenda, the conversation you would find so much that you agree and can connect on. There might be those things that you you disagree and uh, can't connect on, but I think you get to this emotional place where there's just that understanding of like, okay, that, that, that's yeah. what they believe. I can understand why they believe that. And if I don't agree with it, you know, can we still have space for a relationship? Absolutely. It's so liberating when you can get to that point because you can let go of this anger that you are, or for fear or whatever it is yeah. that you might be holding on to because we all do that. Tribalism. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. I, I like those I like those sort of coming to a conclusion thoughts, but I also want to leave time for you to explain, you know, like somebody might be listening, a parent might, might be listening, a youth might be listening, and they say, okay, what Justin just told me about YouthLink sounds like I would like to get involved. Mm-hmm. What are the, the avenues for people to get in contact, get involved with YouthLink, and what's that process look like? Yeah, so best way to do it is to go to our website, which is youthlink.org, and youthlink's with a C at the end, not a K. Um, And there, there's a lot of uh, ways that you can look at to get involved. Um, The service year, which we talked about a lot at the beginning, we're getting toward the end of uh, accepting people into that program for this upcoming summer because there is is a certain amount of rigor to it with what we require locally and just need to have time to do that local stuff, but there's still time for people to join. Um, youth, you know, sophomores on up through college can join as, as young humanitarians. And then if you're graduated from college up through your 70s, you could join as a mentor. We always need um, adults to go on these trips. And we love one of our core strategies is mentorship. Um, because you can, let's, I mean, growing up, my dad was a teacher and my mom was stayed at home and I didn't know an accountant. Mm, I didn't know right. a, a doctor. But through something like YouthLink, you just make those relationships with different people. And it's just a really good exposure to others, uh, other adults and different opportunities that you could do in your life. So, yeah, we encourage adults to, re- to, to join with us too. Um, and if you want to get involved with, uh, volunteering at real life there's ways to do that um, there's yeah just reach out to look at our website reach out to us at YouthLink and we can have a conversation with you we're kind of a high high uh, touch organization we're willing to to talk with people directly about how to plug them in yeah and just so. to just to add, you know, further plug for YouthLink, you know, I've been involved at different levels in YouthLink over the years, and benefit from the you know, service they give their community. So, I would, you know, for what it's worth, give my highest recommendation to anybody, and say to anybody in the community that is looking for uh, a place to donate money. Let's say we we all need money. YouthLink is a great place to start. I think there's mm-hmm. all sorts of levels of donation there from just, you know, a few dollars to help support a, a youth going on a trip to, you know, thousands of dollars, two million maybe even to, yeah. to finish out that <laughs> capital campaign, you know? Yeah, so if like, anyone wants a building named after themselves or something, yeah, we'll take it. A legacy. People want that legacy. Come yeah, on, two million dollars, not that much these days. Yeah. People are being trillionaires. For you know, some too. people, that's yeah. chump change. Yeah. Just give us yeah. some of that just change. give youth link that let's finish <laughs> up the building and get things moving in the community yes um i'll also add that 
Justin is not Youth Link, and Youth Link is not Justin. Justin, as an individual person, is a, a great person to know in the community as well. Uh, I think you know if you want to just connect with Justin, it's worth that connection. If Youth Link and Rotary are not your thing, but I think Justin can be a, a thing for everybody. I, think I have a lot of opinions I would share with people <laughs> off of a podcast. They, they, they need to, <laughs> yeah, they need to hear those opinions. You know, uh, some of these are now public record because we we're recording it. But. Yeah, I'm. Ca- I'm fine with that <laughs> you you've said n- nothing that you need to be concerned about today everything has been gold stars and, and rainbows and butterflies awesome well justin thank you so much for taking the time i know that you're very busy with youth link and life and being a husband and a dad and all of that so i appreciate mm-hmm. you taking a little bit of time and uh, at the minimum i hope this helps uh you know put out into the community uh, something that I think we're both passionate about, getting people involved in different areas of the community through service. So I hope that people feel a little bit of push and, and inspiration after hearing us chat today. Yeah, go out and do some service with anyone. That's it. Just That's it. That's, that's it. a win for us. It's that simple, guys. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for listening, everybody. Go out and do some service. <laughs>